Welcome to episode 153. I'm Stuart McCullough, I'm the CEO of VHAA. And it's time for this week's weekly update. For this week's weekly update, I'm joined by the Manager of Workplace Relations Services and Keen Stamp Collector, Tim Nagel. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Stuart. Good to be here. Tim, would you be good enough to reveal the clue that will suggest the subject for today's discussion? All right, you might need to pick that up. It, it won't, it's not a bomb. And for the benefit of those people uh, who are listening to this podcast rather than watching, could you describe the object? It's, uh, it's the president washing up sponge, and it's in the image of uh, Donald Trump. Correct. Apparently, it's um, uh, if you were unlucky enough to have coronavirus, you can just sponge it off. It's, <laughs> it's if you are not able to, you know, mainline doc, uh, Mr. Sheen, then that's that's what you do. Um, on the basis of that particular clue, what would you say the subject for today's discussion is? Uh, well, it's clearly wash up time under the Health and Allied Services Agreement. Tim, you couldn't be more wrong. Uh, obviously, we're talking there about the president and uh, various suggestions that he might have made. Uh, and if you were to take up his advice and, and start injecting disinfectant, uh, you would probably experience, it's fair to say, an adverse reaction. Uh, and that brings us to today's subject for discussion, adverse action. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that subject, adverse action, uh, and we'll be referring both to the Fair Work Act, but uh, we'll also be referring to the Fair Work Commission's uh, General Protections Bench Book, uh, a copy of which we can uh, is available from the Fair Work Commission's website, uh, but we can also make that available through Yammer. We're going to be referring to specific sections uh, of that, so it's good to have those items available. So the best place to begin our discussion with regards to adverse action is to start with a, a general outline as to what general protections uh, means in the context of the Fair Work Act. Where can the general protections provisions be found? Uh, so prior to the Fair Work Act, many um, protections existed, but they were scattered throughout different pieces of legislation. So the introduction of the Fair Work Act uh, saw these provisions combined in a single part. Um, so the general protections are now found in Part 3.1 of the Fair Work Act. Uh, which has sections 334 to 378. So the most obvious question there is what do the general protections actually protect? Uh, the provisions protect uh, by regulating the conduct of all employees, employees, uh, principals, independent contractors, also industrial associations. And what are general protections? So the principal protections that we will discuss have been divided into the following sections. So section 340 and 341. Now, these relate to protections uh, to workplace rights, which can be broadly described as employment entitlements and the freedom to exercise and enforce those entitlements. Uh, the next section is section 346 and 347, which is, uh, relates to engaging in industrial activities, which encompasses the freedom to be or not to be a member or officer of an industrial association. If that is the question. <laughs> It's a little Shakespeare joke there, Tim. <laughs> I did note that. And to participate in lawful activities, including those of an industrial association. And finally, uh, Section 351, which deals with protections from discrimination. So those are the, an outline of the general protections. Where does adverse action come in? So adverse action is defined in Section 342 of the Act. Uh, it covers various types of adverse action uh, by prospective employers, principals and contractors and employees. But today we're going to focus uh, adverse action taken by an employer against an employee. 
However, it also captures adverse action taken by an employee against an employer. Okay. So can you provide uh, some examples of what might be considered adverse action by an employer against an employee? Yeah, so examples include uh, dismissing an employee, uh, injuring an employee in their employment, such as forced removal from a worksite, transferring to an inconvenient worksite, or standing down an employee, uh, altering an employee's position to the employee's prejudice, such as issuing a written warning, altering an employee's roster to their detriment or demotion, and finally discriminating between employee and other employees, such as deliberately treating an employee or a group of employees less favourably than the other employees. So those are common employment actions, and we'll come back in a moment to um, where that becomes problematic. One thing is to take the adverse action, but that's a different thing from breaching the act. Uh, you mentioned um, in passing uh, that an employee might engage in uh, adverse action against an employer. What, what would that look like? Uh, so examples of employee against employer adverse action include the following. So it could be A, ceasing to work for an employer, or two, taking industrial action against an employer. One of the interesting things uh, from my perspective in terms of this, this regime uh, is that it extends beyond the employment relationship. Um, not only to deal with independent contractors, but also prospective employers and prospective employees. Um, that, that's unusual. Yeah, so that's also that's covered by Section 342 of the Act. So what's an example of where that might, that might come up? Uh, so refusing to employ a prospective employee by, for a discriminatory reason or including discriminatory terms and conditions when offering a role, so that, that may occur pre-employment. So for me, the, the key issue with regards to this subject is understanding that there are really two components uh, that are necessary. Specifically, general protections concern the taking of adverse action, um, the taking of adverse action because of mm. an employee right, a workplace right. Um, so that really leads us to a discussion about what is a workplace right. So it's a very wide protection and potentially covers many circumstances. Uh, under Section 341, a person has a workplace right if the person uh, has a benefit of or are otherwise entitled to a particular benefit, for example, an entitlement to long service leave, has a role or responsibility under a workplace law, for example, they are a harassment and discrimination contact officer, is able to initiate or participate in a workplace process, for example, participating in protected strike or industrial action or agreeing to cash out annual leave, and lastly, most, and most commonly, is able to initiate a complaint or make an inquiry about their employment. For example, inquire about their wage rate, classification or entitlement to allowances and penalty payments. So tell me a little bit more about the protection uh, with respect to engaging or not engaging in, uh, in industrial action. Yes, the freedom of association is protected under international law. Uh, this principle is enshrined in sections 346 and 347 of the Act, which ensures that persons are free to become or not become members of industrial associations, free to be represented or not be represented by industrial associations, and free to participate or not participate in lawful industrial activities. So having talked about and established what the general protections are, uh, what's considered uh, adverse action and how do those concepts connect in order for an adverse action claim to be made out by an employee? Yeah, so undertaking adverse action by itself is not enough uh, to constitute grounds for an adverse action claim. So to give a, a practical example, based on that list we went through before, the fact of dismissing an employee does not automatically give rise to a, an adverse action claim. 
So correct, there must be a direct causal connection between the adverse action and the prescribed reason for the action. So if it is established, uh, the adverse action has been taken. And oftentimes, for instance, in the case of dismissal, that won't be in contest. Um, then the central question becomes, why is that adverse action taken? Yeah, that's right. So a general protections dispute arises only if, it, if the answer to that is because of a protected ground or reason. So there needs to be a nexus uh, uh, between the action taken and the prescribed reason for the yeah, action. that's absolutely critical. Uh, a person has only breached the law when the adverse action is taken because of or on the basis of one of the protected grounds or reasons. Um, so that leads to a fairly obvious question of what happens if there are multiple reasons uh, for the adverse action being taken by an employer? So that's a good question. The Fair Work Act does deal with uh, this situation in section 360. Uh, it states that a person takes action for a particular reason if the reason for the action include that reason. So if it's a prohibited reason, uh, it's enough if it's just one of the reasons that motivated the action. Yeah, so it need not be the sole or dominant reason, but it must be the substantial operative reason for the decision maker's action. So I think people understand sole or dominant, um, but the, those concepts of substantial and operative, how do they operate? What do they mean in this context? Yeah, so uh, it came up in uh, Board of Bendigo Regional Institute of Technical and Further Education versus Barclay in 2012. And it must be acknowledged that that's really the, the key the authority. First, yes, that's right. Uh, that a substantial and operative, operative reason doesn't have to be a sole or dominant reason. It just has to be one of the reasons. And for those people who aren't familiar with that case, um, that's a High Court decision. Um, and is really, yeah, the key authority in this subject. So the, the question then, uh, based on Barclay, is more about why the adverse action was taken rather than how much weight was placed on the reason. Uh, are there other cases that illustrate that point? Flavel versus Rail Pro Services, PTY Limited, 2013, uh, which is another federal court case, um, which is also in the bench book at page uh, 31. Mm. Uh, protected reasons was a substantial and operative reason. So what happened in that case? Uh, so in Flavel, the applicant was dismissed when they refused to take a competency test without reasonable excuse. And what did the employer say? So the employer alleged the reason for dismiss dismissal was failure to fulfil inherent requirements of the role by not sitting the test. So that's, that's the employer's account. What was the relevant right or protection involved in that case? So the protected reason in this case was a right to exercise an occupational health and safety right. Okay. And what did the court find? The court found that the employee had been dismissed because they exercised their right to protect their own health and safety. Um, so that case was uh, an example of a, a successful claim of adverse action. Is there an example of where a protected right uh, is not a substantial or operative reason? Yeah, so there is. So the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union versus Bengala Mining Company uh, is also a federal court uh, case and the protected reason was not a substantive and operative reason in this case. In that construction case, uh, the applicant received a warning and was threatened with dismissal for taking unauthorised leave to attend a union meeting. So I take it in that instance the, um, the protected right it was the, uh, the right to engage in industrial activity? Correct. Uh, however, from the employer's perspective, uh, the substantive the substantial and operative reason for the action was the taking of unauthorised leave and not the applicant's participation in industrial action. 
So how did the court view it? So the court found that the employee had received the warning and threatened with dismissal was not the applicant's participation in the union and therefore the necessary nexus to establish a general protection claim wasn't there. Moving away from those cases, I think we need to talk about the, um, the burden of proof. Uh, in the event of a general protections claim, who bears the onus of proof? So it is a reverse onus of proof. Uh, once a claim has been made, uh, the employer must show that an adverse action was not because of one of the prohibited reasons. And why the reverse onus? The employee will not have the information to establish the employer's intention. That's up to the employer to demonstrate. So you previously elaborated on uh, some of the protected grounds relating to workplace rights and the right to engage or not engage in industrial action. Uh, but you, could you tell us more about the right to be free from workplace discrimination? So discrimination protections are covered in Section 351, which also overlaps with the Equal Opportunity Act. Uh, discrimination protections are also more widely dealt with under other legislation, not just under adverse action. So there's multiple sources. In terms of discrimination uh, protections that fall under adverse action are as follows. So a prohibit adverse action against a person based on protected attributes such as race, colour, sex, sexual preference, age, physical or mental disability, marital status, national extraction or social origin. Provide a defence for employees that allegations of discrimination, if it can be established as inherent requirements of a role under Section 3512B. So that's an instance where there is a, uh, the option of a defence that connects to inherent requirements. Yes. Okay. So do you have any final thoughts for us today? I think the most important part of an adverse action claim is establishing the nexus between the adverse action and the protected reason. That's the key component. That is really the central question that must be answered. Also, I've only touched on a few examples today, but the Bench Book is a great place and has a lot of other examples. Well, thank you, Tim, and thank you to the Donald Trump sponge uh, as well, who I thought also made a very thoughtful contribution to today's discussion. Thank you for taking us through that. No worries. Thanks, John. I'm